Team Metro. And yeah, we go straight into it in the world of business. And uh, yeah, I guess before we get into some of our stories, we'd also love to hear some of your thoughts. I mean, um, I certainly was thinking of something as uh, I was making my way here to the public broadcaster that um, are we seeing examples of price gouging? Um, or are we being told this is just the nature of the airline industry? I mean, if 40% of your capacity is gone with the grounding of Comair, British Airways, Golola, um, I mean, other complaints that people are seeing of massive prices, um, you know, price surges, you know, if you were about 1,000 and something, you're paying like 4,000, um, you know, to make your way. Uh, and I guess, of course, depending on how close you are to the date of when you want to travel, but there's something just... Um, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that. You can reach us on 079-191-4270. We spoke about it yesterday uh, with the uh, Civil Aviation Authorities, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess she said, well, you know, we, we're not in the game of prices. We don't, we're not in the game of dealing with the retail side of things. But uh, I do think that the response to a surge in demand for their services on the part of some of, you know, Kame's competitors, hey, 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 hey. Akwana Lamnel is my guest tonight, uh, Portfolio Manager 27 for Investment Managers. Akwana, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga, and to the listeners. Can Unjani. you hear me clearly? Yes, clearly, 100%. Unjani. Dikona, dikona. Your thoughts also, just briefly, before we get into what we want to talk about. Your thoughts on just um, 40%, um, wow, nearly half, I guess, of all of the aviation capacity effectively gone. And it's certainly gotten many... Yeah, booking offices in a tailspin and uh, many a flying client uh, in a bit of a bother. Yeah, so the news that came out, particularly during the weekend, um, of particularly the Com Air, um, which runs the Kulula and BA operations in South Africa, um, has obviously put some significant pressure um, on other airlines. Um, however, we've seen in the last few years, particularly last year, um, the likes of new airlines bringing up the likes of Lyft. Mm. Um, but um, it is very much a competitive space, um, quite concentrated in South Africa. Um, it hasn't um, grown um, to the likes of, if you go to the US, um, you, you obviously the competition is much wider, particularly for the low-cost airlines. Um, however, with the recent news in the past weekend that we've noticed, and that has been communicated by the civil aviation. Um, it is um, provided to be a challenging period because um, these um, airlines, such as SAA and, and other um, airlines, uh, such as FlySafe, um, consumers are seeing the significant price increases um, in the last few days, uh, which is not very much consumer-friendly. And mm. um, so we do hope that the, the Com Air um, safety regulations that uh, are currently under where at the moment um, are sorted quite quickly um, so that the market can open up and prices can stabilize to some to some level, um, particularly for commuters. Yeah, yeah. One certainly hopes. And uh, I guess, yeah, we find ourselves in very difficult times. Uh, and they're staying with those prices. It seems, yeah, the two former trade unionists from Tala, uh, the Minister of Finance and Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, respectively, uh, you know, Kodongwana and Kweda Bandashe, trying to put together their minds around how we reduce the fuel prices. We see the Brent crude oil price, uh, yeah, I guess hovering along uh, to that big psychological barrier. I mean, 150 US dollars a barrel. Uh, I don't remember, as far as I've been following some of these things, seeing that number. And uh, I don't know if so, since that's how long Japan club begins. Yeah, so um, the for the past few weeks, um, the crisis that's taking place in Russia and Ukraine um, has um, 
provided a challenging period for markets and particularly for crude oil, um, which has soared quite significantly. Um, although in the last few hours, um, we've been particularly today, um, that crude oil price um, just coming through just below 100. But as we speak now, it's currently sitting at 100. And one hundred and two dollars per barrel. Um, so the, the widespread embargoes that we've seen, particularly from sanctions such as the U.S. Um, and other nations, has provided to be quite a challenging period. As we know, Russia is the third largest um, producer, um, particularly when it comes to oil, and this embargo has provided some challenges, and um, particularly for nations that don't um, have in, have um, the likes of oil, particularly within their domestic um, economy and they have to export it or from various nations. Um, so, yes, um, the two ministers, particularly the Minister of Energy and Minerals Resources, um, Gwede Mantasha and um, Finance Minister, have been putting their heads together along with their team, and today they've provided um, some feedback um, to Parliament with some of the questions that were posed, and they said they are in the process of discussing to reduce the fuel price, um, particularly on the te- temporary suspension of taxes and the fuel levy. Um, so the finance minister last month in his um, finance budget speech um, did um, provide some relief for fuel um, consumers, um, such as ourselves, um, with regards to the fuel levy um, that was put in halt. Um, however, the suspension of taxes and fuel levy going forward will, however, impact the fiscus going forward. Um, so I think they'll just need to and apply a balancing act in terms of that because they do get a significant amount of revenue and from that fuel levy and some of the taxes and that we pay at the petrol pumps. Mm. And uh, I guess, you know, the, the other question, Mark, of course, around that is, um, you know, when we think about the components that go into the price of what it is that we pay, I mean, a lot has been often said about the fuel levy, but there are other small prices there. I mean, um, you know, I assume transport surcharges, other levies and... Uh, and I guess uh, a big part of this review is also about trying to also explain to us as the public uh, why those things are in the price. I mean, if there's a certain price that assumes that we're refining these things, uh, but yet sometimes the final product comes in imported, ready to be you know put into vehicles, why would there be, I guess, a need for that refinery margin charge or something like that? Yeah, so the likes of particularly um, the fuel levy and the taxes that I mentioned um, represent about 30% um, of the pump price that we pay at the petrol pump. Um, however, there are other prices that you're referring to, um, the likes of the road accident fund and that, those type of um, costs um, that do escalate that particular price um, that we do pay at the pump. Um, however, we just need to be cognizant that the, particularly the road accident fund was has also, and is currently going through their own challenges, um, does need this financing in order to pay out um, accident um, individuals that do, um, accidents that do take place um, in, in our roads, um, particularly during high peak periods in December and also during our Easter periods and very, very much in the festive season. Um, so they are dependent on some of these costs, um, and I think they will need to revise. I know the, the deputy... Um, Director General um, did indicate they have been doing some research um, in terms of trying to find a, a way um, in, in moderating this price. And she did indicate that um, there possibly might be a fuel I- increase of about 2% per litre that is expected, um, not only due to what's ha- currently happening, um, but what is starting to happen, particularly in the likes of China, which is the economic hub of Shenzhen, um, which is uh, currently undergoing lockdowns um, with regards to new infections 
um, of COVID-19, mm. which could put further strain, um, particularly on the macroeconomic environment that we're currently in. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then I guess if we shift our attention to... Um you know, some of the numbers I was saying, I guess, you know, jokingly earlier on, you know, uh, the company that, uh, you know, and all manner of other things, um, Home Choice. Now, they put out uh, their financials for the financial year ending December 2021, uh, declaring a dividend there from, uh, I guess, retained or uh, from some of the income reserves. Um, revenue up. Uh, just shy of 5% uh, at uh, over 3 billion rand. And uh, loans are also up 73.8% to 3.3 billion. Talk to me about that upswing and return in credit activity. Uh, and I guess whether or not that's linked to a lot of the investments these guys have made in their digital platforms. Yeah, so um, Home Choice International, do they provide some of the results for their financial year ended um, December of 2021? And it's a quite interesting company because it's transitioned throughout the years. Yes, we've known it as we've grown up, as we've alluded, um, Ayabonga, um, towards the Ibedi Neketus that mm. our parents um, used to buy from them. But I think it's a company that's um, transitioned and transitioned quite well. Um, so that today the group delivered a robust performance um, in terms of the performance numbers, um, trading, um, providing a trading profit of about increases by 43%. And they also um, provided an update in terms of the one cost um, of about 123 million, um, which the group did incur um, mainly in the retail segment of their portfolio relating to payments um, towards um, legacy software um, issues. And so they are trying to um, restructure um, this particular division um, by digitizing. And the CEO did indicate today that there has extensively invested in technology um, in the last few years in order to be quite innovative and also to provide a more user-friendly um, profile towards their customer base and user base. Um, so the group um, has indicated that they have about 65% of transactions were concluded um, digitally, and they are reaping some of those rewards um, in terms of the investments that they are making into the tech sector. So it is very much an interesting um, group um, with very much a lot of, uh, quite a few subsidiaries, but one of the subsidiaries that is part of this group um, is Weaver Tech, um, the uh, tech company that is part of a group which produced an outstanding growth of about 69.1%. And this particular group has also made some investments. Um, one of the new investments that the Weaver Tech um, FinTech has um, done in the last few months um, has been the acquisition of buying about 85% stake in the Cape Town-based Buy Now, Pay Later um, startup, which is maybe quite familiar with, which is Pay Just Now. Um, so this group is very much incorporating and digitizing their platform in order to provide very much a user-friendly base, um, particularly for the retail business, um, which has come under strain because previously and historically it has been predominantly dependent um, on the likes of um, post office. Um, however, the last few years they've had to migrate um, from that partnership in order to incorporate and partner up with a lot of the tech company and mm-hmm. invest in a lot of tech um, within their company in order to streamline their business. And, and and I guess, I mean, when we look at that, that fintech play, I mean, we spoke, um, I think, a few weeks ago on this show about uh, their acquisition of uh, Pay Just Now, which effectively, I guess, you know, gives them um, certainly a, a very particular advantage, right? I mean, if you could take something um, and pay for it on terms that are much more favorable than if you're going out and getting a loan for it or anything of that sort, um, it certainly might, I guess, as consumer conditions rebound, um, certainly give them massive surges when it comes to the type of merchandise they sell. 
Yeah, no, so you're correct. And also within their subsidiary, they also have FinChoice, um, which um, that was particular subsidiary that made the acquisition of the startup um, pages now, um, which was successfully done in the past year. Um, so the business um, continues to be heavily um, invested and continues to invest um, in the tech space. And I know the CEO today in their statement um, indicated that they strive to be more digitally savvy um, for their one of an excess of about 1 million um, customer base. Um, so when you have that type of client base, um, you need to find the, the easiest possible way for these customers to transact um, efficiently and quickly and obviously get their products um, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess, you know, just one, let's look at that dividend, but also two, I mean, there's a very interesting metric they put out in their numbers here that... Uh, They've got a sizable amount in the kitty. I mean, 1.1 billion rand of undrawn funding that they've secured for growth. If you look at what they've done over the last 18 months or so, and just how this brand, I guess, has evolved, um, where do you think maybe, I guess, the next steps might potentially be uh, from either acquisitions perspective or even, I guess, in terms of whatever operational investments they might make? Yeah, so just maybe starting with the dividend. So the board of directors um, did declare final growth cash dividend mm. um, of about twenty um, cents. Um, so this was um, quite um, handsomely um, accepted by shareholders. And in terms of the cash reserves that they do have left, um, I think with regards to the injection and particularly the investment that they've made quite heavily into the tech, and um, I think the next growth phase in terms of the business going forward. Um, it's just presence because um, I myself particularly, um, yes, I'm aware of Home Choice International. Mm. Um, however, I think um, many people, particularly middle class families, in terms of direct access, in terms of where can I get their products. So I think visibility is one of the things that you'll need to um, put um, a lot of investment in, in terms of marketing. Um, and also, just as I've indicated, um, the efficiency, um, particularly of getting their products to consumers. Um, I think they've worked hard in terms of getting the, the tech side of it um, um, going and growing in the past few years. Um, I think the next phase will be mm-hmm. just the visibility in terms of their customer base and also growing that customer base and also security, securing the right management in, in taking the business forward. Um, they do have a staffing division, but also they have operations in Mauritius. Um, so it, it, it will be about expanding um, particularly that range um, of regions in which they operate and also growing these demographics where they currently present. Mm, mm. And then uh, if we shift away, I guess, from, uh, you know, the um, uh, a retail sector, uh, we started off, I guess, with aviation transport, now to marine transport, Evergreen. I think many of our listeners would be familiar with what happened in the Suez Canal about uh, a year ago, uh, where we saw um, uh, one of the um, Evergreen vessels, they chartered by Evergreen, stuck. Uh, in the Suez Canal there around Egypt or so. Well, it seems another Evergreen uh, commissioned, um, I guess, vessel here, Ever Forward, uh, got stranded uh, just after leaving the port of Baltimore, heading out uh, to uh, Virginia, out in the U.S. And, uh, yeah, I guess when it rains, it starts to pour, even for not only just the ship makers, but uh, I guess uh, companies like Evergreen who are trying to get products to you and me. Akona? Ah, Akona, do we still have you there? Ooh, it seems. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you clearly. Yeah, I was yeah. saying, I guess for Evergreen, it rains at pour. When it rains, it starts to pour, even if I guess it's a year later. I mean, you probably don't want to have the type of headache of having vessels this large yeah. just stuck in the water. Yeah, so particularly with regards to 
um, the South Stewart fiasco that we experienced last year. So today, um, in the last few days, um, another ship, um, which is operated by the Taiwan um, liner Evergreen, um, has unfortunately run ground. Um, this is with regards to an area in Baltimore. Um, so this is about, a, it's called Ever Forward. Um, so within the Evergreen stable um, today, in, particularly on Sunday, um, they announced that the, the ship was grounded um, towards Charlotte Waters in the last few days. So Evergreen has communicated that they are arranging some divers to conduct the water inspections. And um, in terms of also the damage um, that it may have incurred in the last few days, and also some of the um, compartments within the ship that are that they are still afloat. And um, so, this company, almost a year later, um, experiencing um, something close to what they experienced, but not to the same extent. Um, so they did indicate that the the, the Evergreen, which had blocked um, the traffic in the Suez Canal um, last year, around the 23rd to the 29th of March. Um, however, the Ever Forward um, is not providing as much of a disruption to movement in the Bay of. Um, of Baltimore. Um, however, they are trying to obviously get the ship um, to go because only one strip um, is currently available for other vessels um, to pass. Mm, mm. And, you know, I mean, I guess the, the space when, when one thinks about it, I mean, if you think about the one that was stuck in the Suez Canal, uh, you know, the, the report they're suggesting it's taller than the Eiffel Tower. Um, you know, just to give people a sense, I guess, and uh, I, I don't know, I've never been to the Eiffel Tower, I've only seen it on, on television, but um, I mean, this is massive, and I guess the sizes of the vessels that we're talking about here are probably not anything to scoff at, or, or even the type of vessels that might get into some of our ports. Yeah, so as you indicated, um, the last uh, um, evergreen ship um, was about 400 meter long, um, as you indicated, it was longer than the Eiffel Tower's, um, particularly this, the one, um, the Ever Forward, um, that is currently in Baltimore, um, is not as big. Um, however, it's about um, 234 um, meters long, um, which is a vessel um, in the likes of um, Baltimore, which I've indicated. Um, so it is a much smaller um, vessel. Um, however, it is providing a, a great destruction um, to the port um, where it's currently grounded. Okay. Last one, uh, I think many of our listeners would recall the issue there was with Huawei, uh, the Department of Employment and Labor, putting an application before the courts concerned about the level of, um, uh, I guess, yeah, um, foreign employees on the uh, payroll of uh, Huawei's local operation. What's happening here? Yeah, so um, as you indicate, um, last month, um, the Department of Labor um, indicated they intent in order to um, take Huawei South Africa to court um, for flouting and ignoring um, uh, quotas um, towards foreign employees. Um, so the um, authorities, having conducted an audit in 2020, um, found that almost 90% of Huawei's um, workforce in, in South Africa were foreigners, um, which contravened the 60% workforce that um, needs to be take place within the South African landscape. Um, so at the time, the Labor Department um, had sought to um, get about a 1.5 million man fine. Um, however, today they did communicate that they have reached an out-of-court settlement um, with the Huawei South Africa, um, which the department ha- has indicated they have accepted um, Huawei's equity plan and the, 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 some of the changes in which Huawei would like to take place, um, which is uh, an agreement that um, the department has agreed to in which uh, Huawei will offer training particularly to unskilled and unemployed youth, including women and people, particularly in rural areas, and also source um, some of these 
um, labor, labor individuals um, from the labor department started place. Um, so it, it was a compromise that um, the two parties um, came to um, as the, this was a, an outside of court um, settlement. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess it's 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 a very interesting thing when it comes to these multinationals. I mean, what type of signal do you think this would send? And also, I guess, how common is this? Yeah, so I think when the news um, came to forth last month, I think a lot of us were quite surprised. Um, how can this take place? Because we know Huawei has been operating in South Africa for quite some time. Um, however, this was only found um, in the when the Labor Department was doing their 2020 audit. Um, so it, it, it is quite um, shocking that companies such as this um, are um, applying such um, rules. And I think how they were able to even possibly get away with it um, was the, the watchdog wasn't um, doing their work in terms of overseeing them, um, particularly as a foreign company. Um, so I think stringent rules, um, yes, they are there, but I think they also need to be enforced and implemented um, which we know um, is quite a challenge um, with regard to um, various um, departments uh, yeah. within our government. Also a company that, I guess, uh, has courted a lot of controversy. I mean, at first it was Donald Trump uh, effectively banning a lot of its uh, you know, installations in that part of the world or banning US-based companies from working and uh, using their services. And uh, I think also the United Kingdom at some stage, stand to be corrected. Yeah, so when Donald Trump was at the helm and... Um, in terms of the trade policies, um, he was very quite stringent and very much applied a very stringent view, particularly to companies such as Huawei, um, that didn't want to come and operate within the U.S. house. Um, so um, there were sanctions, particularly from operating within the U.S. However, these sanctions were later eased. Um, so I think, it's, as I've indicated, um, the body that oversees um, these foreign um, companies that are coming to invest and provide services and operations to South Africa um, need to be watched um, quite rigorously and um, audits um, can't be done um, one year and then one year you find out um, that there are flouted rules for a number of years. Um, so um, I, I think um, the compromise uh, with the Labor Department um, was something that was teasing because, you know, um, our job numbers um, don't stay too well. Mm. Um, so I think this was per- probably a compromise that they um, had to come to um, in terms of um, the, the changes that Huawei will be enforcing um, in the next few years. Yeah. Akona, we're going to have to leave it there for tonight. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Aya. Akona Mlamni.